Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Do you have a sense that something is rumbling in your soul trying to get out? Do you feel confused about who you are professionally? And are you waiting until you feel ready or are you building the world you want to live in now? Philosopher and CEO Brian Johnson is back and this time he set his sights on an ambitious goal to create a company that will change the world. The Heroic Public Benefit Corporation is a platform that will provide the tools for optimal living as well as an online community that will become the answer to the social dilemma. At the time of this recording, Brian's raising $11 million to get the ball rolling, and Heroic stands to become the first company in history to raise $5 million through crowdfunding. There's so much more to his grand vision, and you can learn more by visiting wefunder.com heroic. Now, if you're like most of us, you may have a sense that there's something calling you to the next level of your life. Perhaps you're not clear about the role you're supposed to play, or maybe you just don't want to rock the boat. Brian's no different. And so as Heroic finds its footing in the world, he's agreed to pull back the curtain and let us in on his personal process. Throughout this series of interviews, we're going to ride along with Brian through his hero's journey, and we're going to find our own gold along the way. This is big. I mean, the, the heroic is, is huge. You've, you've raised the bar. We're changing the world this time. We're making history this time. And um, as a coach, I get to see behind the, the scenes in a lot of ways. Like I, I, My job is to essentially help people in their hero's journeys. And it's one of the reasons why I love coaching, why I'm called to coach, is to be a part of that. I get so much from that. I, I just I, Whatever gold my clients seem to get, I get, I get to get pieces of that as well. And you've been um, gracious enough throughout the years that I've known you to, to give me a sense of you know, your perspective into your life, into your business dealings. And, and I've always been able to learn so much from your process. And here we are as we're going into heroic. My aim, my desire is to create a parallel path, a parallel conversation, and get a sense of what your hero's journey is as heroic is birthed into the world. 
And so that's my desire. That's, that's my selfish desire, like even just for myself, but I know that it's going to be so helpful for anybody else listening out there. So I want to pitch that to you just make sure we're on the same page and, and get your nod and say, yeah, we're on. Yeah, man. I got goosebumps, uh, from the first moment of this is it, let's go. Uh, and then when you, you know, lob the invitation via text, you know, just in a few lines, I could feel you in that. And, um, you know, I so respect you and we've had so many great conversations. I mean, we've got, we've gone places. I just don't go generally because people don't invite me to go there. And I think it's so important, you know, and we've talked about this so many times, you know, privately and then on your show, how important it is to, to see the big picture, you know, and for you to invite me to have that discussion. I was so excited because I'm excited to share this with our community because I'm really trying to more than anything, practice my philosophy and demonstrate that these things work, these ideas work and the outcomes that we're seeing very early on and we've got so much work to do, but it's, that's what I'm most proud of is being able to hopefully be an exemplar, which is one of the big things that's, you know, as you know, a cornerstone of my work. So to be able to chat about this and I try to be transparent and, you know, really share authentically in the context of raising the money that we're doing right now and all that. But for us to be able to go wherever we go, I think is going to be awesome. So I, I really appreciate the invitation and you and your support. You've, I think you've been on the show, obviously you've been on the show so many times, but there've always been highlights of, of what you're creating at that time. And here we are with Heroic. And so I'm curious if we were to come back to this format of the hero's journey, what's been the call this time? Like, what are you hearing or, or mm. when did it start to rumble? When did you start to notice it? I want to know like on that personal level, because I remember getting some texts with you uh, in November of 2016 and uh, <laughs> and wondering if it started then or, or kind of give me a sense of, of when it when it started for you. That's a really good question. And it's one, as all good questions, it just doesn't have a simple answer, you know. So for me, as you know, and we've talked about this on your show as well, and certainly, you know, one on one, I've had a lot of ambivalence in my life. You know, what am I? Am I a philosopher? Or am I a CEO? And I've spent half of the last 20 years as a founder CEO, raising the money, building and selling a couple businesses. And the other half, as a philosopher, a hermit with nothing in my calendar, reading, writing, teaching. And I'm also a very, very ambitious guy. So when I'm in one mode or the other, I'm all in on that mode. And yet I found myself over the last really several years, kind of like doing a lot of work on the philosopher side. I'm proud of the body of work with the philosopher's notes and our coaching program, et cetera. But 98% of my time was spent reading, writing, and teaching by design. And I wanted to really master ancient wisdom, modern science, et cetera. Yet, and I've got my heroes behind me, and one of them is Abraham Maslow. He says that what one can be, one must be, and that we have capacities that are clamoring to be used. And to the extent they're not being used, you're gonna hear it. It's gonna be kind of barking in the background. So I've had this ambivalence of, oh, which one am I, you know? And then it's funny because you talked about rumbling. Like one of the metaphors I've used is uh, Walt Whitman once said that he was simmering, 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 and reading Ralph Waldo Emerson brought him to a boil, right? So I've been simmering, 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 and I've been flirting around with different ways that I could come out of the hermitage and do something, again, entrepreneurially at a large scale, but it never quite stuck. And then very directly and bluntly election night, I got up, I never get up, but 1am I got up and checked in, you know, and politics aside, and I wrote a, a kind of a letter essay to our community, politics aside, genuinely politics aside, to me, this is not about, 
Republicans, Democrats, uh, et cetera. And I won't even go into the details. But when I woke up at, at that point in the morning, frankly, I was appalled that we were in that situation culturally at that moment. And it was one of those epiphanal moments for me where I really just kind of checked in and looked at it and said, what kind of world do I want to live in? And what kind of world do I want to help create? And it's a more noble and virtuous world. And then I immediately asked myself, what am I going to do about it? Not just for me, but for my kids and, and just to really be in integrity with my philosophy. And again, it was one of those epiphanal moments where a lot of the ambivalence I've had was ironed out in an irrevocable, I'm not thinking about these things again. And I, again, goosebumps as I say that, like I got work to do, you know, and you watch the social dilemma and I'm a, this is what I've done entrepreneurially. I've built and sold two social platforms. So I watch that and I look at it and I say, I've waited for a dozen years for someone to create an alternative to Facebook. And you get to a point where for me, as I've reflected on this, you know, if not us, then who? Who's gonna step up and actually be the change we wanna see? And I happen to have a skill set that's perfectly mapped over creating an answer to the social dilemma. And I happen to also have spent a lot of time figuring out a moral compass of what I think the world needs in terms of wisdom and self-mastery and courage and love. And you put the two together, and it became obvious to me that if I'm serious, then I got to step up and I got to play my role well. And that we can talk about more details, but that was kind of the simmering, simmering, simmering boil moment for me. And it's, again, I flirted with it a lot, but this was different. There was something about it that was just the, the texture, the feel, it's hard to put into words, but it was just fundamentally different. And that was, you know, we're talking now Jan end of January, two and a half months ago. Um, and we can talk, you know, between here and there, but it was just one of those done within a week. I bought a URL, you know, spent a decent amount on a URL and it was just commitment, 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 commitment. And then each step of the way, I've just deepened my resolve. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, a it's been a real powerful process. So inevitably when we step into that next phase, right, it's like, okay, I'm going to heed the call. You're starting to heed this call. And then you know, what comes up for you? Because normally for me or when I'm working with other people is this doubt, like in, in I get that there was doubt for you or that you called it ambivalence of, uh, am I this, am I that, what, which, which path would I take? But what happens for you when you say, all right, commit, I'm going, yeah, give me, give me a sense of the, the theater that, ha that happens between your ears. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously you do anything worth doing and you're going to have self-doubt. So that's just a given. And, but this is what I teach. So I have worked very hard to craft a philosophy that um, I also work very hard to practice. So to me, as you know, it's all about theory, practice, mastery. And, I, you know, we've trained 3000 coaches now from 90 countries and it's what I do. So what happened for me is interesting because I the joke I have was it was as if after reading you know, I've read a lot more than 600 books, but after doing philosopher's notes on 600 books, ancient wisdom, modern science, practical tools again and again and again, and then teaching our, our coaches through the mastery series, et cetera. Um, it, it was like, I was building this race car that was my own kind of approach to life, but I was driving around the cul-de-sac. Like there's only so many more books you can read, you know, before you like, it's like, I'm in a kiddie pool or something, you know, like I'm trying to swim and there's not enough room for me to even stretch out. And so I feel as if I've taken that race car in many ways onto the track and now I've got a really audacious, you know, goal to go out and truly see what we can do to, to make a difference in the world. And it's been um, clearly challenging. We'll talk about that. But it's also been exhilarating for me to have the opportunity to truly, truly practice my philosophy. So the first thing I did, by the way, is increase my meditation. 
So I went from having nothing on my calendar to having no space on my calendar. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm on, you know, and I, I basically do what I teach, which is my masterpiece days, my soul force, my energy, my focus on what's important now. But the number one thing I did was I doubled my meditation. So I've been meditating, you know, 20 minutes to an hour a day forever, but I've been doing 25 minutes, you know, a day. I immediately doubled that to, okay, well, I'm going to do, you know, 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And then I increased that. So now I'm meditating an hour in the morning, every morning, and then 15 minutes after I tuck the kids in at 7 p.m. right before I go to bed. And I am I am so committed to being grounded that uh, I'm working harder than I've ever worked. I've got the best sleep scores I've ever had in my life. You know, people are like, oh, you must be running around all this. I'm like, no, 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 I'm more everything has just been radically simplified. And again, I'm practicing the things that I've learned I need to do in order to stay plugged in and be able to, you know, move with a certain grounded velocity. Um, and again, we can talk about all the doubts that inevitably come up, but even that to go there briefly is now fun for me. You and I have both worked with Phil Stutz and I, I've worked with him every week for four years now. And his number one thing is reverse desire. Quit avoiding things that scare you. Lean right into them. Well, again, when you're reading books and you're doing this and that, there's not many things that scare you. So now it's like each time I feel that flutter of fear, which of course I feel all the time, I have practiced it for so long that it's literally fun for me to turn it around as he would say and lean into it and then see that speed truly is a force, you know, and that when you actually do do the thing that scares you again and again and again and again and again and again, there's this velocity that's created and in the past, I would have hit, pumped the brakes at those points. Now I ground myself, but I move. And in micro little moments of doubt, don't become macro because I'm taking the action that needs to be taken. And that in itself is really, really, um, again, frankly, been fun. It's almost like I'm like a, running a lab experiment on myself now too, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, this is cool. That works. Do a little more of that. Pull back on that, you know? Well, I, I like that. I like the experimentation approach. Um it relaxes something in us that that part of us, I got to get this right instead of, Hey, let's see, let's see what happens if we go down this road. Um, I want to come back. Like what, what things are scaring you? Like, what are the things that when you talk about, I'm going to pivot into this because I'm really appreciating the life that you had before, which was nothing on the calendar, really, you know, very sparse, more of the hermit lifestyle. And then now very much engaged with the world. And we've, we've had, you've had swings like that in the past and imagining, I'm imagining you're more integrated this time around and that you're speaking to that with the meditation. So this time around, what is, uh, what is a challenge for you or what is, where do those doubts come from for you? Yeah. What's well, funny. Cause you know, we're raising money obviously. So we're raising $11 million and, uh, you know, that's no joke. Like, okay, we're, we're raising a decent amount of money. Um, and it's been fascinating because it's just, again, focusing my energy and simplifying my life. But the question that, you know, investors often ask what keeps you up at night, right? So I jokingly say, well, I sleep pretty well, you know, for these different reasons. But if I was kept up at night and what does concern me is we got to execute. You know, I'm talking a big game. We're, we're committed to doing some pretty significant things. And I've been very clear with our investors that huge risk, huge potential return, but huge risk. And we've got to get a lot of things right. Principally, we've got to build something that people truly want to use and that truly affects the change we want to see with our, you know, platform, et cetera. Um, so that, that is, I would offer the thing that is most sobering and humbling is just the work. 
But again, that becomes, well, now what needs to get done? And I'm not spending time, you know, obsessing or worrying about that per se. It's okay, perfect. That's a given. Like we're trying to do something extraordinarily challenging. I no longer resist the pain. I no longer resist the fear, not all the time and not perfectly. But again, I'm wise enough to know that the definition, and you and I have said this in our chats together, the definition of a hero's journey is you're out battling the equivalent of dragons. You're not sidestepping lizards. So the wise hero who's been through enough, you know, battles knows that. And then we kind of rub our hands together and like, there it is. Let's go. And that's an indication. It's an indication to go, not to pull back. And, you know, before I used to pull back, every time I'd start to, to feel the pain, you know, I've been getting iteratively better at it, but I would think something's wrong with me or something's wrong with the process. And now I, I talk to guys like William Damon at Stanford, the world's leading scholar on moral development. And I ask him, hey, you know, he knows what we're doing. He's excited to partner in different ways. I say, what's the one thing you want me thinking about right now? I ask my mentors that all the time, right? What's the one thing you think I should be thinking about? And he pauses, super reflective. And he, he's like, well, you know, you, you got to know this isn't going to be easy. You just got to know this is going to be hard. You know, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to have people doubting you. And you can see him reflecting. He's like 70 something years old. You know, all my best ideas, those are the ones that had the most doubters. You know, and he didn't say doubters, but the most skeptics and critics. And I doubted myself the most, you know. So anyway, there's something about making the shift into the true growth mindset where it truly is an experiment. And you know, it's going to be hard. Then the inevitable hardships and mistakes and shortcomings and quote failures and stuff is just fuel. You're truly anti-fragile about it. And then you work your protocol. You've heard me preach that forever. And guess what? If there's one thing I'm, I'm pretty good at, and it's not even disciplined. People think I'm disciplined. I I'm, I'm, have used my willpower wisely to install habits that run on autopilot that are frictionless for me now. You know, And then I double my meditation. You can count on the fact that I'm also doing all the other things I say are important, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the, the fun thing for me. And reverse indicators is what Phil would call it. These are signs I'm doing the right thing. Not that something's wrong. I want to, I want to underline something you said there and kind of dig into it a little bit more, because what I've found is that there's a culture of wanting to find the hack, wanting to find the cheat code, wanting to find, you know, the, the shortcut. And I found that and you spoke to it beautifully, which is, I must be doing it wrong if it's uncomfortable. I must be doing it wrong if it's scary. This isn't how it's done. When I look at those guys over there, whatever those guys are, I put them on a pedestal or I put them on my wall. They didn't They didn't have this or they somehow had some magic power to deal with this stuff. And um, I want to underline that this is, no, we, we know we're on the track when we start to go into this stuff. It's part of it, Right. Uh, instead of looking for that easy road. And, and, and this shows up in relationships, shows up in everything that we do. It doesn't mean that we're on the wrong track if it's uncomfortable, if it feels risky, if we're at risk of becoming a, looking like a moron, like whatever it is, like, oh, okay, this is all part of it. And I hear you saying, okay, well, let's expect it. We're not going to run away from that. And I wonder if there's, uh, we could speak a little to the discernment of, Okay, well then what does it feel like to be on the wrong path? Because I've gone down that road where I, it's part of the experiment. Like you don't know until you know. You, you get, get into these places. And that's one of the things that I've learned from you is that I love that ability that you have that you, to be so bold and go try things and then kind of shift. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like the difference between those types of discomfort or tensions or I don't know. It might be, it's a longer conversation, yeah. but. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, and again, one of those great questions that has no simple answer. Um, again, I got these heroes behind me, right? So when I meditate these days, I had to fill in some extra spots, right? I only was meditating for 25 minutes and I would do breath work for half of it. And then I would do these virtue meditation. Well, 12 minutes at a time, I got five chunks now, right? So now I added a, a 12 minute chunk where I have these heroes. I got portraits I'm pointing to behind me. Um, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Abraham Lincoln, Steve Jobs, Aurelius, Maslow, Joseph Campbell, some of my heroes. And they literally talk to me. So I kind of invite them in, right? Right. Non creepy way. You know, and I'm like, Hey guys, what do you got to tell me? What, <laughs> what do you got to tell me? You know, and they whisper different things to me, but what Ralph Waldo Emerson tells me is trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. He said in self-reliance, you know, trust thyself. And he says for your nonconformity, society will whip you with its displeasure. This is literally what he tells me every morning. But that idea of trust. What does that yourself, mean? Hold on. I'm gonna. Do, what does that mean? Society will whip you with its displeasure. What does that mean? Uh, so everyone wants you to conform. So it's from his essay, 1860s on self-reliance. So this is 150 years ago. Society, people aren't comfortable with people doing things differently. It just makes everyone feel uncomfortable for a range of reasons. So society will whip you with its displeasure. And he says, truly, it demands something godlike in him or her to trust himself as a taskmaster. So it, you have to step out of society's pull and say, iconoclastically, perhaps, what do I think? What do I believe is true in this situation? And especially in a world like ours, uh, again, J.D. Krishnamurti is a guy I quote often in our coach program. He said, again, 50 years ago, now 70 years ago, he said, it is no measure of well-being to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. In a society where most people are overweight, obese, getting cancer, et cetera, depressed, anxious, et cetera, maybe not most on that, although most have baseline levels of anxiety for sure, it's no measure of well-being or health to be well-adjusted to that society. So you got to step back and trust yourself and you got to be willing to question certain things, but that's a impossible to define process-wise thing, but you need to be the one trusting yourself. And it's far better to make mistake after mistake after mistake, but at least it was you trying to trust yourself and learning a little bit each step of the way than it is to just conform, do what everyone tells you to do and never get any more clarity, but it's messy. And this is why I advocate commitment to the fundamentals, because if you're a basket case, if you're a circus and you're not eating, you're not moving, you're not sleeping, you're not focusing your mind well, good luck, which is why I teach everyone before you get into the hard stuff, like what you should do with your life, turn off your electronics 30 minutes before you go to bed. Get a little bit more sleep and then get a lot more sleep and then go eat a little better, then go eat a lot better, then go move your body. Then you tell me how that same problem that stressed you out on five hours of sleep feels on eight because you're different. And then let's systematically build that foundation from which we can do the harder and harder things, but without which, and again, now I'm kind of going off with the whole COVID thing. What I taught was something that Eckhart Tolle referenced, which was genius, I thought, which is Jesus 2,000 years ago telling us when the storms come, which they inevitably will, you're going to find out, did you build your house on a foundation of rock or did you build it on sand? Now, of course, he had his own teachings that you were either in integrity with or not, but times like now, 
more than anything reveal who had a good foundation. Mm. And for me, the foundation is literally fundamentals, eating, moving, sleeping. And as I say, the bigger the challenge or the bigger the crises, the better you better be on your fundamentals. Most people ignore that and they throw it out the window when things get hard and then they spiral down in a vicious spiral. We say, no, no, no. The worse you feel, this is a Phil Stutz thing again, the worse you feel, the more depressed, anxious, stressed, the more committed you are to your protocol, eating, moving, sleeping. Most people do it exactly backwards. But if you get that right, you become what I call anti-fragile. The harder it is, the stronger you get. And again, this is what I've been teaching and practicing on one level. But now I got this bigger racetrack, if you will, again, to use that metaphor to, to race on. And it's like, oh, wow, this stuff actually does work. And this is fun. And oh, that needs a little bit of work. But that's pretty good, you know? That's what I'm most committed to is to practicing the philosophy, letting the outcomes be what they are, uh, you know, literally a byproduct of the process of showing up in our investor calls. I started with a meditation on, you know, breath and heroes and virtues, et cetera, which because most investor calls start like that. Right. <laughs> and then I go off and I say, look, the most important variable you should be concerned about right now is last night's sleep score for me. my own soul force, you know, and here we go. Let's go. Am I doing the practices? Cause the data is going to show that, you know, if I'm blowing myself up and I'm working till midnight, it's a startup. You got to be working around the clock. No, I'm not an idiot. I know what it's like to be up and down and sleep is unbelievably important for me. So again, I'm sleeping better than ever. I'm in bed for nine hours a night. I go to bed at seven. I get up at four. How you doing? Let's go back at it. You know, and I'm, I'm again, just more disciplined, but I think Again, most people ignore that, but coming back to the fact that our consciousness and who we are as human beings will always be the most valuable asset of our business or of our family unit or whatever, then you invest properly in that and everything else is a downstream effect of you being plugged in, you know, and having a certain level of mastery over yourself so you can show up and meet the challenges and, you know, have your creative capacity optimized and all that good stuff. I think you just nailed while, you know, you've, you've been able to articulate why certain, and I'm going to use this word loosely here, success is uninspiring for me. And then while other types of success is really inspiring for me. And I think that the one that is uninspiring for me when I hear about it, or I hear folks talk about what they've created or whatever, and I see how it's torn them apart, or I see how it's torn them down and actually made them weaker made them physically weaker, like eating their soul. The relationships have gone to hell. It had them, had them make life choices that have just really worked against them. And I'm like, I don't care what you created. And I don't even care the impact that it had. It's not inspiring that you played this kind of martyr role, or it feels like it was chasing this kind of like trying to fill a hole inside. And it, and it but it came at a great cost. And what you're speaking to here is kind of it's challenging that whole hustle culture, which is screw my body, screw my relationships, screw the things that actually make me smart because baby, it's all about this big payday and I'm going to finally be the guy and I'm going to hold the trophy over my head and all that kind of stuff. I don't give a damn about that. But this, this integrated way of like, hey, I'm going to take care of myself and this is going to be a gift to the world and I'm going to bring this to the world is far more inspiring. It's like, hell yes, I can get behind that. And as a coach, like I can't coach people that are going to tear themselves down in the process of building something in the world. It just like, go work with somebody else. Um, but you're, you're speaking to that. Was there ever a time for you where you were part of that hustle culture and you're just like, whatever it takes, I'm going to just rip myself into shreds because it's all about getting the ball across the, the goal line. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, again, I love the frame and I want to make sure we talk about eudaimonia via arte and flourishing by putting your virtues in action and the big three and all the things, again, you and I have talked about in this context that I'm now trying to put into practice, et cetera. But yeah, and this is, it's impossible to not go through the stages of development, you know, Ken Wilber style, et cetera, that our culture holds us to. So there's a center of gravity in our culture, which is frankly taken a few steps backwards over the last X period of years, you know, um, but it's extrinsically motivated. It's I'm going to impress you with more wealth and fame and power and hotness and all these other variables. But the science is unequivocal that you're going to be less psychologically stable going after those than the intrinsic drivers of deepening your relationships, becoming a better human being and serving your community in the world. Right. But again, it's so seductive and our society is so sick that we're pulled into that. And of course I was pulled into that. Now I always had, and I think all of us do have a good heart and a good soul and we want to do the right thing, but good luck navigating that without some grace and without some mentorship and without some ferocity and, and willingness to step outside of that iconoclastically. And frankly, this is one of my ambivalent points was my own ambition. So I, I have burned myself up and out being that guy that's trying to impress other people and trying to, and again, I always tried to do what I thought was the right thing, but it had a dirtiness to it, you know, and there's a level of lack of purity to it. But in the process, part of what happened to me over the last five, 10, 25 years, well, 10, 15, 20 years was I lost my ambition because I, when I was ambitious, tended to do those things you just described, burning myself up and relationships up, et cetera then ambition itself was somehow flawed. And so part of my evolution has been deeply inspired by a book called um, Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin, which is the philosopher's note I've reread more times than anything else, and particularly over the last two months. So she profiles Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, and Franklin D. Roosevelt. And she says they're all different in terms of how they showed up as truly heroic leaders. And they met the moment whatever history demanded of them, they showed up. They were ready and I have goosebumps, they showed up. Um, so they were different in who they were and how they showed up. But what they shared in common was a ferocious, her word, ferocious ambition. So these men were incredibly ambitious and they were unapologetically ambitious and they lived in a world in which the greatest ambition was to be worthy of leading was to be the type of person who had done the work. And now I have tears in my eyes to be worthy of leading. And, and Abraham Lincoln wanted to leave his mark in the history books, but it was always twofold. He wanted to be worthy of being remembered versus today. People want to be the ones that have the most Instagram followers and they want to be, it's a celebrity greatness, totally different. So for me, part of my evolution and really important um, post ambivalence is what Abraham Maslow says. And I know I'm saying a lot right now, but, but he changed me too in his private writings, a book called future visions, um, which is unpublished manuscripts, uh, that are amazing, right? He said that it often takes half a lifetime for the truly creative individual to become post ambivalent, to truly get the fact that they are truly talented. And in the process leading to that, they tend to become, overly humble and ingratiatingly so. And in the process, they give away their power. So I had a lot of that where my ambition burned me up and then I didn't know what to do with it. So I just got rid of it. 
And now with all the simmering, 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 boiling, it's become, look, this isn't about me ultimately. What? Let me become a conduit to something bigger than myself, but let me embrace a fierce ambition to truly make a difference in the world. And as I continue to work on, and this is why I meditate as much as I do, calm yourself down, dude, isn't about you. Be humble enough to sit for an hour every morning and 15 minutes in the, in the evening and truly be a practitioner of these things in service to something bigger than yourself. Um, anyway, I know I'm saying a lot, but that was really big for me. And then we can talk energy, work and love and the fact that what game are you winning if it isn't becoming the best version of yourself, energy, work and love wise. Otherwise it's the booby prize, right? Well, you've, 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 you've really served me so much in this conversation because, you know, at the top of the, of our conversation, talking about the ambivalence and then, you know, tapping back in and, and playing small. And I, I feel that in myself. Like I, I've, I've, I've crossed another threshold in my own life, personally and professionally, the stage that I'm in with my own business, the stage that I'm in with my family, it's, it's revealing itself that there's a next phase and there's this kind of clean canvas there, what that is. And it was like, it was a shot in the gut early on in this conversation. And then back here again, the blind spot for me was that as, you know, I'm doing this work on myself, I hadn't realized that I had, I had somehow, there's an opportunity to transform my relationship to ambition. That's the opportunity that I see here. And one of the things that's really inspiring me in this conversation is that um, I get to watch you work your way through that healthy version of ambition. It's easy to just kind of be like, oh, ambition is going to be rooted, can be very much rooted in some of the, the more uh, dirty parts that we said, but it's really just more fear or, you know, not feeling not enough, right? And I've just not wanted to have anything to do. I've not wanted to stoke those parts of myself. Um, and so it's been about much more simple, much more minimal in my life and, and actually being genuinely happy in that, but also feeling that like zing, there's, there's something in the back there. And, and so I'm, I'm appreciating you and, and that, you know, call it, I feel the challenge to say, okay, what does it look like to redefine my relationship to ambition now that I'm in this phase of my life? Mm. And, uh, and so thank you. I'm just, I'm just appreciating that. And it's also scary. It's like, oh shit. Cause I know. <laughs> yeah, dude, no, I, I got, I got your zing right there. Literally boom, goosebumps right as you said that. So then Abraham Lincoln, what he tells me, Emerson says, trust thyself, etc. Abraham Lincoln says, win the inner civil war, put your whole soul in it as Biden beautifully, you know, referenced him in his inauguration speech. Um, and then he tells us, he tells me for us, and, and Doris Kearns Goodwin had a great line that I, I put into Abraham Lincoln's words in my meditation in the morning. She says that for Lincoln, his ambition was so central to his character. It was as central to his character as his backbone. So Lincoln says to me, our ambition is as central to our character as our backbone gives me tears in my eyes, you know? So it's like me connecting to a hero who serves something bigger than himself. And thank God he did, by the way, because if Lincoln didn't have his ambition, you and I literally would not be sitting here talking in this context. I get worried about Lincoln, though, man. I remember him being a depressive, and you know, I, I, I'm with you on this, but I also hear my no, own like you he's know, got like, to. No, no, no. But here's the deal. So then again, goosebumps. So then in Doris Kern Goodwin's leadership, Lincoln reached a low in his life. When you when you play with this fire, you you better be disciplined. You better be prepared to get burned. And I've experienced that. I know you've experienced. We've all experienced that. Anyone who have any 
Ambition has experienced that by definition, which is also part of self-compassion, common humanity. It's not you. It's the experience of being human, A, put in ambition and good luck. I mean, Lincoln was so depressed, his friends, as you know, had to remove all sharp objects from his house, literally. Yeah. And and yet, he literally, and I quote this in the note I do, he said, I must die or be better. So in his 40s, he had he had failed so many times. And he literally said to himself, I must die or get better. He says that to me often in the morning too. And then he committed himself to a path of self-development that Doris Kern Goodwin said would have been impressive in a young man. In a man of 40, it was just astonishing in his 40s. So again, the, the level of true ferocious commitment it takes is everything. And, and this is what these heroes demonstrate for us is a boldness, a commitment to a vision that they didn't give up on, a relentlessness. Um, this is the hero's quest, as you framed it in the very beginning. This is the very definition of it. But remember, the hero, as Joseph Campbell tells me, has the definition of a hero is that they have committed their lives to something bigger than themselves. And there's something that happens when you actually do that. In my own personal experience, intellectually and, and felt, you get power that you don't have when it's about you. So again, tears my eyes. I got almost, you know, 2,000 people that want to invest, over almost 1,000 that have as the time we're talking right now. I cannot begin to tell you how humbling it is to have their support. This isn't about me. This is about the person that's put 100 bucks in. You know, next to the person that's put $100,000 in, but it's a $100 person that, you know, I read why they're investing and it, I couldn't do what I'm doing if it was about me. And that's why we are getting the support we get is if people actually get that, you know, and like it's, mm. it's true as Phil would say, and I'm sure he said this to you, it sounds good and it has the added benefit of being true. And when there's a coherence and an integrity that I've strived really hard to be worthy of leading. And frankly, I overdid it. You know, I put myself into a hermitage. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. That's my story, by the way. That's what I've told myself. No, no, no. You're not ready. You're not ready. Go read another hundred books, another hundred books, another hundred. Oh, no, you're not ready. You're still not there. But at some point we need to go, you know? And then again, when we can make it about something bigger than ourselves, um, Abraham, no, I'm saying a lot again, but Marcus Aurelius, he tells me quit arguing about what a good man is and be one. And then he tells me, most humble leader, one of the most humble leaders ever, constantly working on himself, he said, let your one delight be to pass from one service to humanity to another. Let your one delight be to pass from one service to humanity to another. So everything we do, everything I do, certainly in my work and my energy is geared toward that. Uh, and again, there's some weird ineffable power that comes from that. Um, enjoy. And then it becomes fun. Everyone's like, oh, it's so hard. You're raising money. You must be doing this and that. I'm like, okay. Yeah, of course. And no, like this is <laughs> what else are we going to do with our time? I completely get it. I mean, even on just a, on a much, you know, it doesn't have to happen on such a grand scale as, as what's happening with you right now. But it's one of the reasons why if I <laughs> haven't coached in a week or two, like I'll call a client. And what happens is I get a break from me. I, I get, there's something that happens when I'm working with somebody. I, I don't have to worry about trip anymore. It's just, there's just a service. There's just a thing that happens. They call it helpers high or whatever, but I'm tapped into something much bigger than me. And there's just a flow that happens. And it's just like, hell yeah. I, this is why I love all of this. This is why I love doing this. That's why I love having these conversations like we're having with you right now. But it, it is because I, I don't have to be trip. 
in that moment. Like that, that part <laughs> gets to relax a bit. And instead of carrying around that mirror, like, Oh, does my, does this make my ass look big? You know, like worrying about how I appear or mm. measure up or compare to others, which is where the misery comes from. Dude, I appreciate you, man. Um, just the way that you communicate and your deep, humble curiosity, you know, and your willingness to go out and your willingness to be you authentically. Um, it's a gift for me. And I know it's a gift for all of your listeners. And I, I have a lot of friends who are like, trip, yeah, trips, you know, you just, you've really shaped people's lives. Um, and, and you know, a lot of people, and of course across the range, but just your ability to connect, I think, you know, with, with just guys that don't usually talk about this stuff or think about these things, um, is so powerful. So your perspective building thing, I mean, not only was it just your book hilarious and, and wise and all of those things, but that particular exercise I have, in, I have really made a central part of our work too, just mm-hmm. building perspective. You know, you think you're a big deal. Let's, let's do a quick thought exercise <laughs> here. No, you're not a big deal. And literally I, practice that practice that practice that and um so yeah i love it i love you appreciate it um we got to get you back in and um so many more fun things in store dude learn more about brian's heroic public benefit corporation by visiting wefunder.com slash heroic if these interviews are helping you please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily Mm -hmm. 